Right, I'm just going to give a quick introduction for my sermon. Today I want to tell you about a man. I hope you know him. His name is The Last Adam. He's the advocate, the almighty. He's the alpha. He is altogether lovely. Amen. He is the amen. Right. He is the author of our eternal salvation and our faith. Amen. I hope you know him. Right. He's the beginning, the bishop of our souls, the blessed and only potentate, the bread of life, the bridegroom, and the bright and morning star. Amen. He's our captain, the chief among 10,000. Right. He's the Christ, our comforter, He's the consolation of Israel, the counselor, our creator, that's for C. He is the day star. He is the desire of all nations. Amen. He is the door of the sheep. Right. His name is Emmanuel. Amen. God with us in the Old Testament with an E. He is the ensign of the people in Isaiah. He is eternal life from 1 John. He is the everlasting Father from Isaiah 9. Yes. For F, He is the faithful. He is the finisher of our faith. Amen. He is the first begotten of the dead. He's the first begotten of God. He is the first fruit. He is the friend of sinners. And in Proverbs, He's a friend closer than a brother. Amen. This man is God blessed forever. Yes. God manifest in the flesh. Amen. God with us. Yes. He is the good shepherd, the great God and the great shepherd. Amen. He is harmless, the head of all, the heir of all, our helper, high priest, holy child, horn of salvation, and our beloved husband. Amen. For the letter I, I am is his name. He is the image of the invisible God. Yes. He is Emmanuel with an I, and he is our intercessor. Yes. His name is Jehoshua, Joshua, Jesus, Hebrew to Greek. He is the judge of the quick and the dead and the just one. Amen. Today I want to tell you about the king eternal, the king immortal, the King Invisible, Amen. the King of Glory, the right. King of Heaven, the King of Peace, the King of Righteousness, and the King of Kings. Amen. Do you know Him? I hope you know Him. Amen. He is the Lamb of God, the Lamb slain for us. Right. He's the last Adam. He is life, and He is light. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the living bread. He is our Lord and the Lord of glory. And he is the Lord of lords. Today I want to tell you about a man of sorrows who is also our master. He is the mediator for his saints. He is Messiah the prince prophesied. He is the mighty God. And he's the morning star. Today, today I want to tell you about a, name, a man whose name is above every name, who came from Nazareth. He's called the Nazarene. Today I want to tell you about the Omega, the omnipotent, the only begotten son, the only potentate, and the only wise God. Today I want to tell you about our Passover. It's his name in Corinthians. He's called peace. He's our physician. He's the prince of peace. He's called the prince of life. He is the pro propitiation for our sins. Amen. If you want a name for the letter Q, he's a quickening spirit Amen. in 1 Corinthians 15. For R, we have rabbi, ransom, redeemer. He is the resurrection, the resurrection and the life. He is the righteous judge. He is the rock, he's the root and offspring of David, and he's the rose of Sharon. Amen. I want to ask you, who is he to you? 
Today I want to tell you about a man who's the savior of the world. He's the shepherd, the son of God, the son of man, and the son, S-U-N. Today I want to tell you about a man who is the testator of the new covenant. He is the true bread from heaven, the true light, the true vine, and he is the truth. I want to tell you about this man who is undefiled. He is our unspeakable gift. And today I struggle before you. I'm not sure how to speak of him, but I pray the Lord will help me. Amen. He is the upholder of all things by the word of his power. He is the vine. Amen. He is the way. He's the well of living waters, the wisdom of God, and he is the word of God. Right. He's the express image of God's person. Couldn't really find one for X. He is the yes of God, the amen of God. Amen. And he is the zeal of God. Yes. So I want to talk to you today. In 1 John chapter 1, if you wouldn't mind turning just a couple more minutes. 1 John chapter 1, starting with verse 1. John, 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Amen. Today I want to talk to you from, first, uh, from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and this is his epistle. The same man wrote it. It starts so interesting. He doesn't just say John to the saints which are at Ephesus. He starts with that, which was from the beginning. He just jumps in there a lot like Hebrews, and I love that. I love that our, uh, the Apostle John, he was so focused, and he didn't want anyone confused about who the Lord Jesus Christ was and who the person of Jesus Christ was. And here we can see that. There's a lot of news we hear a lot. And a lot of times we wonder, is it true? Who saw it? Did it really happen? We don't know if it's really true or not. But I can tell you for certain that what I'm going to tell you today is 100% true. Because the Holy God inspired men to write it. So we have inspiration from men who personally heard, saw, and got to touch the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am very excited to show that to you today, just as John was very excited to say it. We should, we should love that the life was manifested from verse 2. And they got to see it, and we get to see it. It's a blessing. Amen. I want you to look at verse 3, that, that the end goal is fellowship. And that's part of my goal today is that we'll have fellowship with the Lord and with his son, Jesus Christ, just like the apostles had, that we will be so close as John who, sat on his, who leaned on his bosom at supper. John 15, abide in me and I in you, Jesus Christ said. And I want that to be our relationship. I'm very excited to preach this to you today. And I pray that the Lord will bless the efforts that will be convicted and will love each other. If you will turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. It's funny. I did not tell David what songs I wanted to sing. I did request a couple of those um, for Mr. Carnell to lead. And tell me the story of Jesus. It's funny that that... I say it's funny. It's the Spirit of God and... Amen. I'm thankful that we're on the same page. Amen. Actually, sorry, will you turn to John chapter 20? I'm going to start there. John chapter 20. Because I want to tell you about why John wrote um, before I actually get into it. 
And I want to tell you about why I'm speaking to you today as well. Uh, John chapter 20. By, pre- by my preaching today, here's what I hope to remind you about. I want to remind you about Jesus' nature, his announcement, the division he caused among the people, his plan, his incarnation, his glory, and his grace. Those are what I wanted, the topics I want to remind you about today, all about the Lord Jesus Christ. So why did John write the gospel? Why did he write his epistles? John chapter 20, verse 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. They're written in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Amen. So one of the goals in his writing was to confirm the faith of his readers in the Lord Jesus Christ and also to confirm their faith in their own salvation. If you'll do me a favor and actually turn to 1 John, I'm going to spend a couple minutes here because there's a lot in 1 John that kind of clarifies John 1. And I, I, one man wrote it and he had reasons for writing because of his experiences and what he wanted for the elect to know, the saints he wrote to. So 1 John chapter 5, I'm going to read you verse 13. It's one of my favorite verses. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Amen. So he wrote, John wrote, he wanted, he wrote to elect, first of all, so I'm talking to elect believers today, and he wrote that they would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that they would have assurance that they're saved. And right. so those are a couple of things I want to do today as well. In chapter 1, which I already read to you, verse 4, these things write unto you that your joy may be full. That's another reason John wrote. Another reason he wrote in chapter 2, the first verse, he says, My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so another reason he wrote was to press his readers to live righteous lives. And that's one reason I'm speaking today. And then a main, one of the main things he wanted to get across was he wanted to contradict and expose heretics. Amen. And he called them Antichrist. And this same chapter, chapter 2, if you go down to verse 21, let's see, I want yeah, verse 21, I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. And chapter 4, see, here, I'll just, I'll read verse 3. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, even, and even now, already, is it in the world. Um, just as a side note, the word Antichrist doesn't mean have anything to do with the popes necessarily. That's the term that other people have put on it. John didn't mean the pope necessarily by these words, although the pope fits into it. He's generally just talking about anyone who believes that Jesus Christ wasn't come in the flesh. And there were a lot of those then, and there are a lot of those now. Right. Um, and even if they don't believe that, even if they do believe that he's come in the flesh, they definitely don't know him as who he is and the ruler of the universe. And so that's Antichrist. This is one of the reasons he wrote. This is super important. That's why he spent so much time. And today I'm going to spend some time going through some doctrine, maybe some grammar, not because I want this to be some kind of seminary, class, but because we have to defend against those who would say otherwise, and I want to build our faith that we know who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Right. This is there's an easy test of false teachers. Did Jesus Christ come in the flesh? And it's easy to know because we have eyewitness proof from those who saw him, and the Lord inspired those words, and I'm very thankful for that. Right. And I mean, there's other places as well. At this time, he says they're already in the world. Um, in 2 Corinthians 2, and where it said there are many which corrupt the word of God already in Paul's time, and there's other places as well. So we know it was obviously already happening. So that's John's goals for writing, to confirm the faith of his readers, to fill his readers with joy, to press his readers to live righteously, and to expose heretics.
And so I already said a couple of my goals, my purpose today, but I want to just throw out there, my goal is not to preach doctrine just for the sake of knowledge, because honestly, knowledge by itself is useless. And our pastor has done a great job of explaining those doctrines. I'll have to do some of it, and there's, we can get excited and rejoice in some of that doctrine, which is a great blessing for us to understand. But my main goal is to encourage us all to love the Lord Jesus Christ more, and that our joy is full, and that we have confidence and assurance that Jesus is the Christ, and that we have eternal life. Amen. All right. A couple more caveats. This is, so this was preached four years ago. I know it's crazy, it was already that long, in the spring of 2016, and I, it took our pastor 10 sermons to get through today what I hope to get through in, now I have 47 minutes till 1 o'clock. So, I have roughly two and a half minutes per verse, I will see how far I go. Um, also, this is by far the longest I've spoken in front of a group of people, so forgive me if I seem nervous. All right, back to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. I'm going to read to you the first 18 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me. For he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. There's a couple ways you could break this down. The, the, the general way to do it, the first three verses, the deity of Jesus Christ. Verse 4 and 5 is life and light from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6 through 8 is John the Baptist. Verse 9 through 13 is the division among the world because of, of Christ. Verse 14 to 18, the whole section is about the glory of the only begotten Son, incarnate in flesh. And in that section, 15 through 17, is the grace and truth introduced by the gospel. So I'm just going to go start right in with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. This one phrase took the pastor over an hour. It will not take me that long. Um... In the beginning was the Word. Sounds similar to the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God. I love this verse. John, he goes back farther, he delves deeper, and he reaches higher than the other gospel writers. The other three gospel writers, Matthew starts with Joseph and Mary. Mark starts with John the Baptist, jumps in. Jesus is already 30 at that point. 
And Luke starts with Zacharias and Elizabeth. This is before that. Think about a time when there was nothing. And it's hard. I don't know how to explain it because I don't understand it. There is, there is nothing. There is no time. And that's the only way we can think as humans is in time. So this was before time. This was the beginning. Like before anything existed. There was nothing. The pastor, he used the word when he was preaching. He liked the term non-universe. There was not, there was not a universe. There was nothing. God is eternal in both directions without end. Amen. There are many verses. I want to turn to a couple, but I won't forsake a time showing that. Our God is eternal. We know that. And if you think about it, if the only being described in the Bible, the only being described in the Bible as being eternal is Jehovah God, then if the word is in the beginning as well, then we don't even have to get to the last phrase of this to know that the word must be God. That's right. It's, I love that. Before the pastor preached this four years ago, I didn't understand why it was called the Word of God. It, doesn't really, it didn't make sense to me. The Father, that makes sense, because he's our Father. The Spirit, okay, he's a Spirit. I guess that makes a little bit of sense. But the Word, why is it the Word of God? But then when he explained it, and maybe I'm simple, but it was so clear and beautiful to me, the Word. Let me give you the definition from the Oxford English Dictionary. Word, speech, utterance, verbal expression. Things said, or something said, speech, talk, discourse, utterance, report, tidings, news, information. It's an element of speech, a combination of vocal sounds or one such sound used in language to express an idea and constituting an ultimate minimal element of speech having meaning. What I want to get from that, expressing an idea and information, tiding, and news. Utterance. A word is a symbol representing a thought or an object or a person, someone's name. If I give you a name, the letters don't mean anything, but if I say Colin Castleberry, you think of a man, Colin Castleberry. So a word is a symbol representing something else. The word of God perfectly expresses the image of God to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love that. That is why he says the word here. In the beginning was the word. God had a lot of things purposed and planned before the foundations of the world. I'm going to turn to a few places. You can turn if you like. I'm going to try to turn quickly. Acts 15, 18. We know this very... We all know this verse it's repeated often. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. He had everything planned out before the world began. There's a couple other things he had before the beginning, in the beginning. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. Turn there quickly. Let me read the end of verse 1. I'll just read verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. So this is in the beginning. The same time the word was, this is what God had promised. Right on the, the page next to it, or one page over, 2 Timothy 1.9 very familiar to us, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And in 1 Peter 1, which is right next by here, if I can turn in the right direction, verse 20. Let me read verse 19. The precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Right. So with these things in mind, this is what was before, this was in the beginning, before there was anything, God had his plan set out. He had foreordained for us to be saved. This is in the beginning. This is where the word was. 
I want to ask us, and I ask all of you, who loves you? And maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a mother, maybe it's a father. No matter how long they love you, even if it's 80 years, it is but a short moment in the eyes of eternity. Right. Amen. And God loved you and the word through him and Jesus Christ by the word from the beginning. No one else has loved you from the beginning. And that is precious to me. All right. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. There are five descriptive facts. So this first section in John chapter 1, the first section, verses 1 through 3, I'd say it's probably the most dense of these verses. There's five descriptive facts. This is the pastor's words, and I like the way he says it. It's easy to follow through here, this logical progression. So the first descriptive fact that we just said was that he was in the beginning. The word was in the beginning. The second descriptive fact right here that we're reading, the word was with God. The third descriptive fact, the word was God. The fourth one in the next verse is a repetition and a combining of the previous verse that he was with God in the beginning. And the fifth descriptive fact in verse 3 is that he created all things. The word created all things. And so we can learn a couple of things from these facts. We can learn first that the word has been there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. He is distinct Godhead person because if he's with God, and if we know the next phrase says he is God, he has to be distinct from God, but he's part of God. Third, he is God. And then the fourth thing we can learn, he was eternal, just like that God. And the fifth part, he is uncreated and he created all things. So those are the five, maybe it's the same thing said in a different way, but five things we can learn from those, this first section. So the word of God, with God, yet distinct from God. We know that if we look ahead, that it says the word was God. And so the word was God, yet it's with God. So it's two people. No, but it's one person because we know there's only one God. We're monotheists, right? Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We know that verse. So it, there's, the way that it's said is that there's a plurality of persons in the Godhead. I don't know how else to explain it. It's not really easy to explain with our mortal minds. If there's a supreme being, by definition, there can't be another supreme being because then that would make one of them not supreme. So it has to be the fact that they're one God. We can't have two gods. He's with God, so he is God, but he's separate from God. It's hard as it is for me to understand that. I mean, all over the Bible, I like 1 Corinthians 8, it says um, there are gods many and lords many, but we don't care about all those idols. We know that there is only one God. Right. Our God, we know he's self-existent, he's self-subsistent, and he's infinitely independent. Amen. He is right. called I am that I am. Right. He is almighty God. His name is Jehovah, and I'm very excited about keep going through Isaiah 40 and learning that he likes to talk about it, that there's no other gods beside him. Amen. And we, we love it. We should love his name. I am that I am, Jehovah. I like in Psalm, what is it, Psalm 68? Him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Jah. The shortened version. I like that. Right. So there's a plurality. If, if we remember in Genesis 1, go ahead and turn to Genesis 1, 26. I know you've seen it. It's very familiar. This is a reminder. 26, chapter 1, verse 26. If I said Genesis 26, I'm sorry, I can't remember. If I said that or not. 126. And God said, let us, plural, make man in our, plural, image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them, he, them, male and female, created he, them. So it's a great example. We see we don't have to get out of the first chapter. We can tell somehow there's multiple persons 
operating under one Godhead, the one God in multiple persons. And we know that. I just, just as a reminder, the best verse about the Trinity, 1 John 5, 7. And we believe that is as much scripture as any other verse. Right. A lot of Bible translations. What is it? What is some, called some kind of comma? It's omitted, but it's not. We know it's inspired just as much as any other. 1 John 5, 7. If I can turn there. Therefore, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Yes. Amen. And that's, the, that's the best way we can describe it. One God, three persons. Mm-hmm. I like an example that's given to explain this as well. In Jesus' baptism, all three were present in different ways. Jesus was present as the Word of God made flesh. God was present because he said from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, and the spirit descended on his head like a dove. So they're separate. Another example of that they're separate, but they are the same person from 1 John 5, 7. There's no difference in nature. So we think of nature. Another word that I use, essence. That means the intrinsic qualities of God, his character traits. He is omnipotent, omnipresent. He is omniscient. All of those characteristics, they are true of every part of the Godhead, every person of the Godhead. Mm-hmm. Another interesting point is we often think that the Father, we call him, some people call him the first person. I don't really like that because it makes you think like the ranked one, two, and three. No, they're all equal. Right. But if you want to think about it that way from First John 5, 7, one is the Father, two is the Word, three is the Holy Ghost. However you want to think about it. The Father is often thought of like he created all things. But here we see in verse 3, we haven't got to it yet, that the Word also created all things. And in Job it says, the Spirit of God made me, is what Job says. So all three are credited with creation. It's just interesting. That we don't, I don't always think about that. Also, all three are credited with regeneration. Let me try to find this verse. It's not pulling it up in my memory real quick. Here you go, this is good. 1 Peter 2, 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, born again by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So not only is the spirit the one that regenerates us, but the word is. It's, it's, it's interesting that they're used separately. They're separate persons, but they all are equal, and they all have the same character traits, and you can prove that by this little exercise of looking at what they've actually done. Another one that I really like, regener- uh, resurrection. The resurrection. We also, we might think of it as the Father that's resurrecting. But in John 10, 18, it says the Word's going to do it. Jesus Christ is going to do it. And there's just the facts proving that for certain the three persons are equal. There's not one less than the other. There can't be a God. I haven't got there yet. But. So why are they named? So if they're equal, this is an interesting point the pastor brought up, and I love it. If they are equal, why do they have different names? Because that doesn't make sense. Wait, the Father, if he's equal with the Word, he's not the Father of the Word. That doesn't make any sense. They don't, it's kind of, I hope it's not disrespectful, but the, they don't run around calling each other Father and Son. Father and Word, Father and Holy Spirit. They're one person. So why is he named that? Because if you think about it, God's holy. Definitely all three persons are holy because it says God is holy, which means that the Godhead itself, the nature of God is holy, and God is a spirit for sure. All three persons are a spirit. But we call him the Holy Spirit. The pastor made this point. I want to make it as well. These names are not for them, they're for us. These names are for us, and we get to benefit from it because we can see him as our father, and we can see the word as the one that expresses God to us, and the spirit as the one that dwells inside of us. Remember, they're absolutely equal, they have the same nature, but these names are for our benefit, and they're wonderful. We get to see it as a father, 
And when we say our Father in heaven, I hope we don't take that lightly. I say it all the time in my prayers. But he really, as a father loves his, loves his children, he loves us. And I, I love that fact. Amen. It describes our redemption. Fa- the Father is the Father of Jesus and of us by adoption. The Word is the declarer and revealer of God. The Holy Spirit is the internal hidden operator in us that helps us to be holy. All right, this phrase, the Word was with God. So we have a trinity for certain. And we know that the word is eternal from these first two phrases. The third phrase, back to John 1. And the word was God. This is probably the most contested of these three phrases. From here, we trust the inspired word of God that this is the truth. The word is as much God as the God he was with. He is as much God as the same deity as the God he is with. He is fully, the word of God is fully eternal, immortal, omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. Now, note, note the choice of, choice of words. It doesn't say the Son. It says the Word. And the Son is not God. Now, the, the God part of the Son is certainly God. Of Jesus Christ, two natures, God and man. The God part certainly the Son, but the man part isn't. So for us to say the Son is God could be possibly not perfectly representative of the truth. Yes, it is true, Jesus Christ is God. But he's perfectly clear here by saying the Word is God. Mm-hmm. The God, the Word, was not begotten, he wasn't created. And he's not emanating. There's a lot of false doctrines about yeah. that. But we know he certainly is God himself. Amen. Remember, the Father is not the Father of the Word. He's the Father of the Son. He doesn't say a God here. It says God. It doesn't say a begotten God. So the Jehovah's Witnesses say a God. Roman Catholics say a begotten God. But we know that those are both heresies and that the Word is God. God himself. I, say, I said deity earlier, and it's not really a Bible word. It's a word, another word that we've come up with to try to describe it. The definition would be the estate or rank of a God, the personality of a God, the divine quality, character, or nature of God, divinity, the divine nature and attributes. In other words, the Godhead, and that word is used in the Bible. In Colossians 2.9, in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I have a ton of verses here just because I love having all these proofs. I don't want to turn to all of them just for time. But Jesus Christ is certainly fully God. And I haven't got to verse 14. I don't want to ruin it. But Jesus Christ, the word of God made flesh. Everywhere we turn in the Bible, Jesus Christ is fully God. And I love that. It's one of my favorite doctrines. Jesus is Jehovah. And we can trust in that. And the fact that our Savior is 100% in control of all things. Amen. God with us. Emmanuel, just by his name Emmanuel, which everybody knows. God with us. Jesus is God. Prophecy in Isaiah 9-6, one of the, another one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, talking about Jesus Christ. One of our favorite verses as a church, 1 Timothy 3-16, God was manifest in the flesh. Amen. Psalm 45, he's declared, Jesus is declared to be God and King in that Messianic Psalm. I wish I could turn, but I don't have time. Paul said, the full God, I already read that verse. Jesus declared to the Jews. Wish I could turn here too. You know what, let's do it. John 8. John chapter 8. One of my favorite verses about this. I keep saying these are one of my favorite verses. They're all my favorite verses. Amen. 858. John 858. Well, let's get verse 57. He's talking about Abraham. Well, 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Yes. Then said the Jews unto him, 
Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to kill him, because they didn't like hearing that he called himself God. But he certainly is God, and I love that about him. He knew verb tenses because he said, Before Abraham was, which is the proper use of that verb. But then he says, I am. He was back then, by the word of God. Thomas, an apostle, an eyewitness, one of those eyewitnesses, he said, my Lord and my God, when he saw him resurrected from the dead. Every knee will bow to Jesus, proving that he's God. Philippians 2.10 and 11. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end in Revelation, proving if he's eternal, then he must be God. The blessings of Israel and uh, Romans 9, it's funny, I hadn't remembered this phrase in those blessings listed in Romans 9 when Paul lists the blessings, trying to mollify, maybe comfort the Jews a little bit. It says, God blessed forever, talking about Jesus Christ. If, well, I'll get to that verse later. Jesus, oh, this is good. Jeremiah 23. Great proof right here. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Jesus Christ, the branch of David. In his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is the name whereby he shall be called. The Lord our righteousness. In all capital letters, Jehovah God. Jesus is certainly Jehovah. In Philippians it said he was not afraid to be equal with God, and if he's equal with God, then he must be God. All right. John 1, 2. Back to John. So you learned already the word is eternal, the word is separate from God, and yet the word is God. In verse 2, we read, the same was in the beginning with God. And it doesn't really make sense when you first read it because you're like, wait, didn't he already say both those things? First of all, even if it was just pure repetition, certainly is worth it because such an important fact can't be repeated enough. So even if it was repetition. But the two separate facts from the previous verse are combined in one because before it just said he's eternal and he said he's separate from God. But here it says he is with God, separate from God, also eternal in the beginning. At the same time, there's no way this could be twisted. He adds another verse to tie up all the loose ends. Closing his argument, the same was in the beginning with God. Verse 3. All things were made by him. The word of God, the divine nature of Jesus Christ, our Savior, created the universe. I said some about this earlier, but facts about one nature, so we have the God part of Jesus Christ, we have the man part of Jesus Christ, the facts about the God-man, the God, may not be true about the man Christ Jesus. For example, Luke 2.52, we all know this, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Well, the word of God certainly didn't grow in stature. But the man, Jesus Christ, definitely grew in stature. Right. Right. And wisdom as well. It says in Christ are hid all the wisdom of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But it also says he grew in wisdom. Which one is it? It's both. The God has all wisdom and the man of Jesus Christ grew in wisdom. It says he was made of a woman. So... Was Jesus Christ made, or did he make all things? Because it says here he created all things, but it says he was made. Which one is it? It's both. Jesus has to be Jehovah, because only, the only person given credit in the Bible who created all things is Jehovah, and here it says he created all things. So he must be Jehovah. One more proof, in case you weren't sure. And without him was not anything made that was made. 
This is the basis of everything we believe. The, this is, in Christianity, the fact that our founder created all things, it, it governs the rest of our understanding of the truth. If he created all things, and he told us what to do, including us, he created us, and he told us what to do, then we certainly owe it to him. Yeah. Compare this to any other religion. What did they create? Tell me about Muhammad, Zoroaster, Mahavira, Joseph Smith, Buddha, Confucius. What did they create? These founders of religions. My Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God created all things, and I love it. These, these verses are so precious that we get to understand who our Savior is. He is a magnificent Savior. Verse 4. In him was life. The word of life from 1 John 1 that I read to you. This is who I'm talking about. He's also called in verse 2 of 1 John 1 that I read to you, that eternal life. He is full of life. He holds the power of life. He is called I am that I am. He is perfectly self-sustaining in his own self and self-existent. He's called the prince of life in Acts 3 by James. He gave the first man, Adam, life, and he holds our life in his hand. He had the power to lay down his own life and to take it up again. Amen. He couldn't be held by death, it reads in the Psalms. And he's going to save us from death. He has the keys of hell and of death. Right. He is the origin and source of eternal life as well. So that's physical life. What about eternal life? Oh, where should we go? He's called a quickening spirit in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's go to John 10. John chapter 10. Let's go to John chapter 10. Favorite chapter of many of us. I love this chapter. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Amen. He gives us eternal life. What about vital life? We know we get regenerated. Vital life through Christ. If we get to verse 13 today, then we will learn about being regenerated. And we get vital life through Christ as well. So Christ... He has the power of physical life. He has the power of eternal life. He has the power of vital life. He says he's the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. We better be thankful that he has life. Each of us right now, we were dead before. The Lord regenerated us and changed our hearts, and he said to us, live. Amen. And we're dying right now physically. We better be thankful that he has life. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. We have a couple options here. We could say it's the life, the light of creation, the light of conscience. None of those fit because if you go down to verse, the next verse, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The light of conscience and the light of creation, if we read Romans 1, is perfectly comprehended by all. So what light would not be comprehended? It has to be vital life. The eternal life that is in Christ is given to us for gospel light. Nowhere else in John is this, if we were to look through, we look at the word light in John, it has nothing to do ever with creation or conscience. So it has to be eternal life, vital life. Now notice it says, it does not say, in him was light, and the light was the life of men. You can't have light unless you have life. Mm -hmm. We all know that Arminians and others like them believe that you have to believe and be saved, but obviously here it does not say that. It says we get life, and then we get light. That's right. The light shineth in darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. Total depravity. We're in darkness. Especially us, the Gentiles. 
the Lord had left us alone, we would still be dark. And the darkness comprehended it not. We truly did not want it. We did not want to be light, enlightened, but the Lord, he did it anyways, and I thank him for it. That's so, just think about how terrible that is, that the darkness doesn't comprehend the light. It's amazing to us. We think about it. We don't understand how they can't see it because they don't have life. That's the, that's the bottom line. I'm running out of time. I'm going to skip around a lot, so I'm just going to quickly skip around. Verse uh, 6, 7, and 8 is about John the Baptist. You've heard about that from Isaiah 40. Uh, I think it was four weeks ago at this point, and you heard about that this morning with our brother Newell Eastland. Thank you for saying that to us. It was a great sermon. That's who John the Baptist was. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And he didn't care about whether or not he lost disciples because he did lose disciples. He didn't care whether his ministry was decreased because at the end of the day, it was, it was nothing for him. It was all about the Lord Jesus Christ, and we should have that same attitude about everything in us. It doesn't matter about us. It matters about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all I'm going to say about John the Baptist. Verse 10 is the same thing as... I talked about light, so I'll skip over verse 9. Verse 10 was about the same thing as verse 5. The world knew him not. And that's awful. And we should try to make up for it. Know him. Comprehend him. What does the word comprehend mean in verse 5? In verse, uh, comprehended not. Yeah, verse 5. Comprehended it not. Comprehend. To know who the Lord Jesus Christ is. In verse 10, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to know Christ, to come to Christ? First of all, we believe on him and then we follow him. And we should try to make up for what the world has forsaken by following him with all of our might. But verse 11 is even worse if you think about it. He came unto his own and his own received him not. The Jews, which had a special opportunity and privilege by having prophecies given to them, they completely rejected those prophecies even though they, it was so obvious the time prophecy, it was right in their laps, and they missed it because they were blinded. All right, verse 12 and 13. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Verse 12. But, don't you love that? Some of us did receive him. Some did receive him. It was a difference he made because it says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, if you remember, when the pastor preached this, he made a big deal about a letter. Can anybody tell me what letter is missing? The letter D is missing. Here we go. As many as received him. That's past tense. If you go back to 11, that's even past tense. So we got past tense, received. As many as received him, past tense. That's already happened. We did receive him. And he already, to them, gave. That's also past tense. He already gave us power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. Where's the D? Why does it not say believed? Because we don't get a D. It's believed. Present tense proving that we have to have power before we believe. And then if, we were, if you were confused, there's verse 13, which were born. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There isn't anything we can do about it. It's not blood. It's not what our own flesh wants. It's not what any other man would want for us, but it's God who changes us. We wouldn't want it. We were in darkness. There's nothing we could do about it. It has nothing to do with our choice. We didn't get to choose when we were how, when, to whom, with what traits we were born the first time, and in the same exact manner. We don't get to choose how, when we're born the second time. That's the Lord's choice, and I'm thankful that he has made that choice. It takes the pressure off of us because he's done it for us. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. All right, verse 14. My fa- okay, I said all the rest are my favorite. This one's really my favorite. <laughs> And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
if you remember, in Isaiah 40, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. There it's revealed. The Lord Jesus Christ revealed to us, made flesh. The apostles, they heard him, they saw him, they touched him. Thomas got to put his hand in the hole, in the scar in his hand, and he got to put his hand in his side. That's how close and intimate they were. He definitely was made flesh. God manifest in the flesh from 1 Timothy 3.16. If you think about it, all this importance everywhere put on all these events and big things that happen and this happens and this happens and 9-11 trade towers you know, were hit by a plane and oh, it's a big event. We remember every year and all these big events that happen. But no one talks about this. This is the event right here. The word was made flesh. And the sky was split open and angels declared him and wise men came to him. It's beautiful. The word was made flesh. He is a man. He's a man like us. He has the same temptations like us. He has the same, he had the same temptations. He had the same problems. Yet he was absolutely perfect. And I can't imagine that. I don't. I don't understand how you could have all these temptations and yet you say no to every single one of them. But he did it, and he did it for us, and that is just glorious. Amen. He dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. So they got to see a little bit of the glory of the Lord, and I can't even imagine right now what the glory of the Lord is like now that he is glorified in heaven. Amen. I cannot wait to see him on his white horse with the blood of his enemies underneath him. It's fantastic. The glory of the Lord has been revealed to us, and we're going to get to see it someday even better. This is the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Incarnate. The only begotten. The Son of God. And yet He's also the Son of Man. I'm skipping over so much. Full of grace and truth. Our Lord Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth. When I said comprehend earlier, I think of Ephesians 3. That we may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the length and breadth and depth and height. Now that's full of grace and truth. It's unspeakable and it's unsearchable. When you say full, it's certainly full. There's more about John in the next couple verses. And 15 is a, it's like a parenthetical verse here talking, it goes away from the word for a minute and goes to John. One thing I want to pull from that verse, for he was before me. So he that cometh after me in verse 15 is preferred before me, for he was before me. Two separate befores. One is preferred before. He was greater in his dignity, greater in his position than John the Baptist. We heard about John the Baptist earlier. Jesus Christ is much more glorious than John the Baptist. So that's preferred before me. That's as far as his person. But he was before me, literally. In time, he was before me. And yet, think about this. Jesus was born after John. But he was before John, eternally by the word of God. Verse 16. And of his fullness have all we received in grace for grace. Now we're back to the word of God again. says in Psalms, Jesus Christ received gifts for men. It says, Paul says, Jesus Christ gave gifts to men. And we've received those gifts of grace, grace for grace, grace piled upon grace. If we go to the next verse, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I want to get a verse from Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10.1 real quick. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offer year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. Over and over, sacrifices and sacrifices and death and blood. It says the law came by, was given by Moses. You have to understand when it says the law, think about every condemnation in the law. Do this and live. Thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not. Think about that, the law. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. 
and we get to see that grace and truth in the gospel here in this church. It's beautiful. No man hath seen God at any time. Verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. The Word of God declared as a man to us. We get to see it. The glory of God has been revealed to us. I'm so thankful for that. I wish I could have covered more. Went a little over 45 minutes. That's okay. I pray that we will love the Lord Jesus Christ more. He is a great Savior. He is the eternal God in a man. He understands every one of our problems. And yet, He can intercede for us on the right hand of God. And He holds all things by the word of His power. This is eternal life. That we would know the Lord Jesus Christ whom he hath sent, the Lord hath sent. Pray the Lord will help us to do that. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.